So how do you guys convince an anti-vaxxer? I defriend them. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to episode 37 of the Humanist Agenda podcast. My name is Kenny. I'm Sherry. And I'm Rory. And we're back. Finally. We did (laughs) it. We did another episode for this year. So it's 2021. Uh, the aliens didn't invade us, so oh, that's so good. Glad. <laughs> yeah, I was a little worried. <laughs> I kind of, you know what? Like honestly, I was a little bit nervous for what was going to happen as we were striking midnight and like the hours afterwards. But we were okay. We survived. You know what the funniest meme I saw was about the whole striking midnight thing? You've got the people waiting for the countdown, and then instead of reading, you know, January 1st of the next day, it reads uh, December 31st in the 60th minute, and then it just keeps counting on 2020. (laughs) It doesn't end. It doesn't doesn't end. end. I was a little bit worried about a Groundhog Day situation in there. Yeah, could have been. Yep. Mm -hmm. We wake up and it's January 1st, 2020. (laughs) yeah but we all made it and on to a better year hopefully i think so it started off pretty well u.s is not bombing anyone exactly we're not in another world war so Mm -hmm. that's good australia is not on fire yep yeah (laughs) yet there's still time but you know yet How, how many more days before the orange man is out? A few uh, more, right? 15, tw- something like that? 19, yeah. 15, something like that. Yeah. So. Too many. Almost. Almost. We're almost there. Mm. So there's hope. There's hope. So. There is hope. And speaking of hope, uh, the one thing that we were hopeful for in 2021 was the end of this pandemic, or at least hopefully the start of the end of the pandemic. And one of the key tools to accomplish this is vaccines. Uh, As of this recording, uh, there are three uh, COVID-19 vaccines that have been approved in different parts of the world. Um, But it does bring into question whether the general public would adopt the vaccine. Because ultimately, to successfully end the pandemic, uh, we need herd immunity in our world, where a large enough uh, amount of people are vaccinated or have uh, antibodies against the coronavirus in order for us to get back to normal life. Uh, But this obviously depends on people either getting the vaccine or actually getting infected and recovering Mm -hmm. from the infection. And there... And over the last few years, there have been some increased hesitancy for people to get vaccines. And uh, this might potentially be a barrier for us to uh, achieve this herd immunity if people don't actually take the vaccine. So uh, we want to today talk a little bit about kind of the anti-vax movement. And maybe we'll kind of start with a little bit of the history of vaccination. So the first kind of vaccination was kind of described in, uh, can anyone guess what year? I know because I researched it. (laughs) (laughs) Rory, you guess. (laughs) When was vaccination first uh, described? First described? Yeah. What year? Hmm. I'm going to guess 
some how how big do I have to guess the exact year or do I no, get some leeway? You, you you'll you'll can, have some leeway. Can I guess the century? <laughs> <laughs> sure. I'm going to guess sometime in the 1800s then. Maybe close, close. Well, it, it's actually uh, 1798. Oh, when it was two years off. Oh. Yeah. So uh, a British doctor, Edward uh, Jenner, described uh, vaccination by using cowpox in order to actually uh, give people the antibodies to combat smallpox. Mm-hmm. So cowpox is uh, a similar virus to smallpox that's infected in cows. But basically, uh, they've discovered that when you get cowpox, you essentially also prevent yourself from getting smallpox. He noticed that uh, milkmaids had gotten cowpox and weren't contracting smallpox. So that's kind of where that discovery happened, is like this observation in a subsect of people who were getting cowpox and not smallpox. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this, this was the first time when uh, they were able to actually vaccinate people, but using a live virus... <laughs> Uh, from cowpox and it, it you know smallpox used to be a pretty deadly disease where it would kill you know three out of ten people and the uh the scars and the the scabs that develop from smallpox are pretty disgusting like mm-hmm. uh, if you look up any photos of uh people with smallpox it is absolutely disgusting Hard that's like at. my worst my my worst nightmare yeah <laughs> so yeah, and I find that interesting because, um, you know, at that time that they were doing the smallpox vaccinations, they actually have to kind of score the children's skin in order to put the the virus into, into get it, to get it into them. Like, they weren't using needles. They were just, you know, cutting people and putting in the virus, um, mm-hmm. which did cause a scar. And so some parents were... And, some parents were against this vaccination because it caused a scar. So if you think about like, okay, you would get smallpox and you would have a ton of scars, the ugly, awful scars, or you could get the vaccine and you've got like one little scar and you're not, you know, scarring your whole body. But that was, you know, not okay for parents. They they couldn't handle the one scar. Yeah, but I don't know. Looking, I mean, if you look at the photos of smallpox, like having your whole body covered in scars is... Oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> disgusting. Yeah. I mean, I read that uh, there's over half a billion people who actually died from smallpox before it was finally eradicated. So mm-hmm. definitely the proper course of action to go for the vaccine. But did the vaccine methods change at all from this cutting method? Like, surely it evolved over the centuries. No, because we don't really have smallpox anymore. The last outbreak was in 1902 in a city in Massachusetts. Um and um, that city then mandated vaccinations. And there was one man who objected and said he wasn't going to, and then they took him to court, and he lost in local courts, and then he also lost in the Supreme Court, where they ruled in favor of the city. And that was actually the first time that um, a Supreme Court case ruled uh, in favor of the state uh, so that they could a- enact um, compulsory laws in the event of an, an a disease that that was communicable. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, because of vaccination, 
uh, of smallpox. Uh, smallpox has been eradicated. Like we haven't had any cases of smallpox. I think the the last known case was in 1977, and we've never seen it since. Yeah, um, so we haven't really changed the vaccination for it just because we've eradicated it, I believe. But we uh, so, so no one actually gets vaccinated for smallpox anymore. Yeah, like. It it stopped in the eighties, right. uh, and so none of us actually now are immune to smallpox because it just doesn't exist. That actually explains. Well, yeah, I actually. Uh, go ahead, I Jenny. should correct. I, sh- I shouldn't say it doesn't exist. It does exist in two places. There are two labs in the world that still have smallpox: one in the U.S. and one in Russia, uh, and they keep these samples as a emergency stock in case they need to. Um, to develop, do more studies on smallpox if right. it shows up again. Right. Uh, but another interesting fact as well is uh, countries actually have stockpiles of um, smallpox vaccines as emergency. They, they, oh, really? They're just sitting in storage. So in the U.S., they have a stock, strategic stockpile of the vaccine for every single person in the U.S., um, Canada has a stockpile as well. I don't know if it if it covers every single person in Canada, but um, they they do occasionally vaccinate um, military people, um, right? Because of because of potential threat of uh, bioterrorism. Yeah, because I remember there was a an incident like that during I think the Bush administration. They were afraid of weaponized smallpox, and so they were forcing vaccinations on military personnel and key yeah. hospital personnel. Yeah, I remember that particular time. Yeah. So along with this first uh, vaccine that, that we've created as humankind, um, or Edward Jenner created, really, uh, we had the anti-vax movement start. So mm. with our first vaccine, we have our first anti-vax movement. And I would like to tell you the components of this anti-vax movement and see what you think of them. Okay. See how, how similar maybe they sound to something that happens today. Okay. So the first one that I talked about was that um, you actually had to cut children's skin to insert the... Um, the cowpox. So parents objected to that. There were religious reasons. So the vaccine was deemed unchristian because it came from a dead animal. Oh. Yeah. Um, there was general distrust of science and a misunderstanding of how diseases spread. Uh, some people said that smallpox resulted from decaying matter in the atmosphere, which is bizarre. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, (laughs) especially since it can be spread (laughs) don't know how that works anyways uh also it violated personal liberties as the government was creating vaccination laws so the first vaccination law was in 1853 and it ordered infants up to three months to be vaccinated and Mm. then the second one was 1867 and it was 14 years so they amended that for uh children up to 14 years had to be vaccinated. And so people were wanting the right to control their bodies. So that was our OG anti-vax <laughs> movement. <laughs> and all those arguments sound very, very familiar because the, the, these are the common reasons that people would give because they're hesitant of, um, I don't know, uh, medical professionals or 
um, they use religious exemptions to get out of uh, right. vaccination. So mm-hmm. sounds pretty familiar. Yes. Yeah. And so when people started having rallies against the smallpox vaccination, there was this huge rally that was held, I think up to 100,000 people attended. And um, they started this, in, the government started this inquest and, and found that the vaccine did prevent smallpox. Um, but they were allowed for people to have object or sorry, to have exemptions if they objected to um, the uh, vaccine. So it removed any of the penalties that were um, enacted on people. And I think that kind of led into that outbreak that happened in 1902 um, mm-hmm. because people just weren't, we, they were just getting the exemptions and just not getting vaccinated. And then if you don't get vaccinated, you're going to see an outbreak among people who don't get vaccinated. Oh, and they probably hosted super spreader events. Yeah. So right? like today. <laughs> In the Rose it. Garden, maybe. <laughs> oh, geez. Now, <laughs> distrust is one thing, but surely there were some vaccine adverse effects that were documented at the time. I, like there always are. Somebody's going to suffer permanent damage every time there's a vaccine. Not very many. It's always a very low proportion of the population, but someone will suffer and someone will die. Usually one in a million, but someone's going to. Is that? Uh, did you find anything about that on the smallpox vaccine? That didn't really factor in. Um, that didn't really come in until the 1970s uh, with diphtheria, tetanus, and uh, pertussis. Where yeah. the the problem with smallpox is, I mean, your likelihood of dying from smallpox is just so much higher. Yeah, yeah. Than for the sure. Likelihood of any type of adverse effect. So you know, once once you've gotten rid of the more deadly diseases and you start moving down to diseases that maybe have a lower death rate or uh, that that starts becoming more uh, controversial for people. So so maybe, you know, when we talk about the different uh, adverse effects, I mean, this is why in the past when there's been incidences associated with vaccination, People use these events as uh, evidence that, well, clearly there's high risk and it's rightly so that people question uh, vaccines because of kind of past incidences. So uh, maybe you guys want to go through uh, a famous one, the sure. Cutter incident. Absolutely. I, I don't think we can talk about anti-vaxxers and vaccine adverse effects without bringing up the Cutter incident, which... For those who want the the history lesson, it was in development of a polio vaccine. 1955, the U.S. government was producing a vaccine against Salk's polio. And through some mistake in the production process, 120,000 doses of the polio vaccine that uh, the Cutter Laboratory was releasing actually contained live polio virus. And so they were essentially sending out polio in vaccine form and people took it and there were of course let me make sure i get this right uh at least five children who died of polio as a result of this and uh over 100 patients were paralyzed as a result of taking this polio in vaccine form 
And 40,000 people got the abortive polio. So it was like kind of like getting polio, but not as bad. So they got sick um, right. from this. Yeah. I mean, yeah. essentially they got polio like yeah. it, it, because the it wasn't really a vaccine that they were given. They were yeah. literally given <laughs> just the an live injection virus. of polio. And you know yeah. what? If you're a, an anti-vaxxer in the 1950s, I would sympathize with you completely when a company can make a, a mistake that large. And so it's not... It's without- worth noting, though, that this company, the Cutter Company, was one of four companies that had a vaccine. Right. So it's kind of like if Moderna's vaccine ended up being tainted, we still got like other vaccines that have come out that are maybe... Um, more trusted. Uh, not that Moderna is not trusted. Um, I'm just kind of giving an example of one company because at that time they didn't have those stringent regulations on um, making sure that vaccines were, you know, properly tested and that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, it's not even that necessarily Cutter Laboratories is untrustworthy. You know, they released a bad batch, but I'm sure they released hundreds of thousands of effective polio vaccines as well but for some reason and the the live virus they sent out somehow it did pass safety regulations at the time i'm not sure who was in yeah, charge of that yeah I, yeah I don't know how the safety regulations occurred uh back then but they they did technically pass their uh at that time whatever safety protocols yeah. they had in place yeah so I still don't, I don't even think that you can write off the Cutter laboratory, even though they were responsible for this. And rightly so, they should have faced a lot of litigation and paid penalties for that. And I'm sure that whoever was directly responsible for releasing this bad batch lost their jobs. I mean, they would have had to. But I think this this was a pivotal moment where the onus of government uh, was really kind of shown in terms of, uh, government really needs to um, ultimately be in charge of s- ensuring that you know things are approved for use, mm-hmm. um, and and not just fully depend on a company to uh, kind of produce yeah and self- medicine self regulate. Always a problem when you count on self regulation. It brought to mind another point though, which is I think a lot of people would become more confident in vaccines if they were clearer on the liability proceedings that would follow if you are injured by a vaccine. Like in Quebec, they have a a statute that stood since 1985, which does handle liability for, uh, for people who are injured by vaccines. But in the rest of Canada, I don't know if we have any kind of, uh, corporate or government responsibility for people injured by vaccines, it might just fall on the individual who loses time at their job, is possibly suffering permanent debilitating injury. And if that's the case, I think a real way to build up public trust would be to you know, fix that, release some clear laws that say, if you are injured, here's what will happen, here's what you are entitled to for compensation. Yeah, so Canada did actually uh, is implementing the first uh, national vaccine injury compensation program. 
Oh, excellent. Is that recent? This year. This year. year. Yeah. I think that's a big part of what we need, especially to handle a global pandemic and, you know, people who are reserved and thinking twice about getting vaccinated. I think that's a big part of it is ensuring that if injury does happen, they have some recourse. It's interesting that this happened, you know, so long ago, but I think that it's, it's, um, an example that really stays within the consciousness of our society. Like I was talking to my wife about, Hey, let's, you know, make sure we get this vaccine, this COVID vaccine when it comes out and that sort of thing. And she talked about her hesitancies and talked about the polio vaccine that was yeah. tainted. Like, you know, it, it, it's I, amazing and I was thinking the longevity myself, of that. Yeah. I was thinking to myself, it happened so long ago. Like, how can you really think that we're yeah, almost almost fifty years? Yeah, you know, think things have definitely changed, and I think it's important to note that you know, when you look at the CDC, actually tracks and actually publishes all all the various vaccine um, incidences that have occurred, mm-hmm. um, and you can tell like progressively uh, throughout the years the type of uh, incidences seem pretty minor as it starts moving uh, closer to our present year. Um, so, I, I, you know, there was one recently where um, they thought uh, there might be, because of a manufacturing issue, there might be like some glass in the vial. So they had to recall all the batches, but they still published it. They just published saying, hey, we, we think there might be an issue. There might be some glass uh, right. So we're we're just putting it out there. I remember that was we're the, recalling uh, everything. The HPV vaccine, 2013, is when the the glass particles in yeah. the vaccine was a big issue. Yeah, but but it's not like they're putting it live. Yeah. You know, HPV virus. Yeah, nobody's and, mistakenly sending you a, a dose of polio instead of a vaccine. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we immunize against influenza every single year. So you'd think if there was critical failures in the production process, they'd be not buried. Like we would know about them just from the flu virus every single year. So I, I think, you know, things, it's clear that things have improved in terms of the, uh, the safety of um, these vaccines and even some of the incidences that are published on the CDC website, uh, uh, you know, an incident, a potential incident, um, where a virus could have, you know, triggered some kind of immune response. Um, they kind of showed that, you know, it's not really caused by a vaccine. And, and the, how they can prove that is, it goes back to our last podcast where we talked about there's a placebo, placebo group and then the actual vaccine right. group. And then when they compared the two, if, uh, let's say, um, a stroke, for example, uh, someone that took the vaccine had a stroke, they can then also compare that with the placebo group to see did the placebo group also have people that yeah, had strokes? The same rate of and stroke. usually usually yeah. the rate <laughs> tends to be exactly the same. Yeah. So you know, okay, the vaccine didn't actually cause a stroke if both populations have the same rate. But yeah. Kenny, uh, I thought that vaccines caused autism. <laughs> oh no! Oh, you went there. Autism. You went there. <laughs> Oh my God, the autisms! <laughs> so, so uh, I, I think you know when we think about the modern day um, vaccine, uh, sorry, the modern day anti-vax movement, autism comes up a lot. And in 1998, uh, Andrew Wakefield, a now uh, 
discredit, discredited, disgraced uh, medical doctor, uh, published a paper in The Lancet, uh, a medical journal. And his fraudulent work actually uh, promoted a connection between the MMR vaccine, which is the uh, measles, mumps, uh, rubella vaccine, uh, to autism. Uh, there were only 12 children in this in his uh, study, um, but it really kind of fueled the anti-vax movement. And, uh, you know, famous people like Jenny MacArthur uh, kind of uh, latched onto it and really kind of blamed vaccines for her son having autism. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's, it was interesting at that time, uh, people didn't realize it, but Andrew Wakefield actually had a little bit of a conflict of interest here because he actually submitted a patent for his own measles vaccine. Uh, So he, uh, on the one side, was trying to discredit the MMR vaccine, and then on the other side, submitting a patent for his own vaccine. He also, wasn't he also paid by a law board to find out if there was evidence to support a litigation case uh, by parents who believed the vaccine had harmed their children? I think there was something also about that. So, like, he had a lot of conflicting interests in there. Yeah, yeah. So, it it you know because of this um, paper, uh, people really uh, began became worried about this MMR vaccine, and the they quickly kind of pointed their finger uh, on a component of the MMR vaccine. Uh, and one of the components is called a thimerosal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually just a preservative that prevents bacteria from growing in the vaccine. Uh, cause no one wants to have bacteria or uh, fungi <laughs> injected into them. So there's this preservative in there. Um, they, they kind of point, they fingered this, uh, component because thimerosal, the molecule itself, has a mercury molecule in it. Mm. Um, but, you know, this thimerosal exits our bodies relatively quickly compared to actual, like, elemental mercury. And I, I try to make the comparison here in terms of getting thimerosal doesn't actually mean, like, you're ingesting or absorbing mercury because, uh, for example, uh, like table salt. Table salt is actually made of uh, sodium and chlorine. When you eat salt, you're, it's not like you're eating chlorine, like bleach, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like chlorine in the bleach. It, it's just a, a molecule is just made up of different atoms. Um, so, um, so there was a, a lot of concern around uh, thimerosal. So, uh, obviously, um, uh, scientists began kind of researching. Um, whether the threat of thimerosal was credible. Uh, and in as a precaution, they actually took thimerosal out of all of the vaccines um, uh, after, after that study. So like the MMR vaccine, any uh, pretty much vaccines given to children nowadays don't have thimerosal in it. Um, but what is interesting is if you believe that thimerosal is the one is the component that causes autism you would anticipate autism to drop right right <laughs> because if you take it out of vaccines um if you look at any stats on the rate of autism it's not dropping <laughs> it's increasing um there, there's some reasons why it could be increasing in terms of like more uh diagnosis etc but ultimately 
autism still exists. Mm-hmm. Removing it from the vaccines have not actually reduced um, the autism rate, but it has done one thing in terms of uh, it has kind of eroded the confidence of the MMR vaccine and measles vaccines, which is now unfortunately why we're actually starting to see measles outbreaks. Uh, and the U.S. used to be one of the countries that has eliminated measles from the population. Um, but now the WHO, the World Health Organization, has declassified the U.S. as the, a country that has eliminated measles. Yeah, I saw a stat that was uh, 2014. There were over 600 reported cases of the measles. And, you know, the the sad thing about autism is that we don't actually know what causes autism. And that's why people really jump onto this idea that, aut- or that autism is caused by vaccines because they just want a reason. Yeah. Because when parents have a child that is struggling, you know, day to day, um, the way some autistic children struggle, they just want an answer. They just want a concrete thing to blame to point their finger at. Yeah, it's and totally it's also a bit of timing as well, uh, because the uh, when the signs of autism show up tends to be also the, at the age when people uh, when children start to get their vaccines. So mm-hmm. um, parents often uh, correlate those two things right. that uh, don't actually connect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's sad because, like, I can understand why they would say, like, oh, I don't want to vaccinate my kids because my one kid got autism and it was yeah. the same time that they were getting these things. And, and you know, I understand the struggle with parents um, when your child has has um, something like autism, but it's not a reason to discount the science. We have to always keep that in mind, yeah. Not a reason to allow measles, mumps, and rubella to make a comeback and start compromising health on a much larger scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I, I think because we we don't live in a world where we've seen measles. Like, I've I've never seen an individual with measles, Mm -hmm. uh, mumps, or rubella. But I I think people have forgotten what these diseases do to people. Right. And so the vaccine becomes the boogeyman because I don't even remember what what the other real boogeyman looks like. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. So, um, but obviously there's still continued hesitancies and there are still some reasons why uh, certain populations are hesitant. So, for example, in the the Black community. So maybe, Sherry, you want to kind of talk about some of the past incidences that might kind of increase people's hesitancies? Yeah, well, a lot of people have heard of the Tuskegee study, which happened between 1932 and 1972. Um, so uh, a researcher you know, came out and said, okay, the goal of our study is to observe the natural history of untreated syphilis in black populations. And they kind of said that, um, or not kind of, they did say that the black communities don't seek out treatment and things like that. And they just had this awful self-fulfilling study that happened. Um, So they had these populations of black people that they recruited for this study um, and participants were not aware of 
the goal of this study and were told they were being treated for bad blood, which is a colloquial, a colloquialism for um, anemia, syphilis, fatigue, and other conditions. So it kind of combines a whole bunch of different conditions. Um, so they were receiving no treatment at all, even when penicillin was discovered as a safe treatment for this disease. So they had a treatment for this disease and they were still just not treating the black population that they had recruited. Um, they also gave them treatments that they knew were ineffective. Um, and it, it sort of was this thing where science and medicine at the time was supporting the belief of the natural superiority of the white race. Um, so it was this, you know, really horribly, horribly racist study that went on. Um, and it originally capitalized on the depression by giving these black people shelter and meals um, and like, you know, a place to live and that sort of thing. So uh, that's the way they brought people in. And um, they told the participants that they were being treated for things like uh, syphilis and, and all of that. Uh, so that prevented those participants from actually seeking out a second opinion, which was exactly what they were trying to say was, you know, prevalent within the black communities that they don't seek out medical treatment, but they thought they were being treated. So why would you treat a, you, why would you seek out another medical opinion when you think you have one? So that whole study went on. And in 1947, the Nuremberg Code was written and it, protects humans within experiments from harm. Um, but the Tuskegee study continued on. Um, and, and in 1972, there was a whistleblower who ended the study, um, who published uh, a whole bunch of documents within the newspaper to show that it was still happening and and all of this happening. And, and so I say all of this with the caveat that I could understand why the black community might be hesitant to get a vaccine or even get medical treatment um, because they have been deceived for centuries. Um, you know, we've, we as white Caucasian people have really, really done a number on the black communities. And by the end of this study, it was uh, predicted that they took about 1.4 years off of the lifespan of, of black men. So it's really sad. And we need to acknowledge that that is the case. And maybe that's kind of what fuels an anti-vaxxer um, resurgence within the black community, because I could totally understand why they wouldn't want to treat, seek out treatment. And it, it's also sad because they are the ones that are disproportionately affected by things like COVID. Exactly. That's what I was going to say as well. I mean, the 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 population group that's going to be most affected is the the one that is hesitant to kind of uh, uh, get the vaccines as well. So, um, and again, that will just prolong our ability to achieve herd immunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've done some bad stuff as humans. Yeah, and maybe uh, I'll I'll give. Uh, I guess an experience I recently had with a anti-vaxxer that's kind of associated with um, uh, race as well. But um, I, I have a anti-vaxxer on my Facebook uh, list. 
Um, he's more of an acquaintance. Um, I per- personally, I, I still have him on my friend? list because <laughs> no, I, I, I haven't unfriend this person because I really want to understand like where he's coming from and like what he's posting, <laughs> uh, just to get, get my head around and just to keep tabs on what people are saying. But, um, he, uh, regarding the COVID vaccine, um, you know his his perspective is we we shouldn't vaccinate blah 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 for all the reasons we kind of talked about etc. Uh, and he's also the type of person that's also visiting family. Oh no, uh, you know going going out at, and he even stated like his mom is uh, like a immunocompromised person oh, and no. still he's visiting. Um, uh, on a side note, he also believes in um, UFOs and how the government oh my. is uh, corrupting the investigation of UFOs. But let's put that aside. <laughs> Quite a character uh, by the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, so it, it, one of his points uh, around the COVID vaccine, other than all the other reasons we talked about, he specifically called uh, not called out on me but he specifically like messaged me to tell me that the covid vaccine only 20% of the trial participants were people of color um the the others were caucasian and he, that was his justification for why i shouldn't take the vaccine because the trial participants there weren't a lot of people of color that's still a problem like obviously they need Trials uh, should be more diverse. Yeah, need a representative they, sample. They should, always. Exactly. They need. Um, but in my mind, I was thinking, um, in, if that's actually the case, shouldn't you use your white privilege to actually get herd immunity <laughs> uh, w- with all the white people so that you can protect me? <laughs> like that. That's exactly what I was thinking. And, but anyways, I'm sure that escaped his brain. But. Yeah, the reasoning didn't extend that way, I'm sure. Yeah, there's some strange beliefs that these anti-vaxxers have. Yeah. But it's always moving the goalposts, I find. It's always, uh, okay, you know, uh, oh, it's this, this, you know, vaccines aren't safe because uh, of autism. And then we prove, oh, it doesn't cause autism. Okay, then I'll move the goalposts again. Um, In this case, you know, oh... Uh, maybe you don't have enough trial participants and then you show them that, uh, you know, uh, the Pfizer vaccine is 40,000 people. And then as of uh, today, 4.3 million doses have gone into people in the U.S. And globally, uh, 12 million doses have gone into people uh, for the COVID vaccines of various types. So, Okay, now you have a sample size of 12 million. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they're going to come back, and I, I know exactly what the next argument is going to be. We don't have long-term data. Yep, the long-term effects. So, exactly. So the, the goalposts will always keep moving, and, uh, and that, that's why it's hard to kind of uh, uh, convince kind of anti-vaxxers because the goalposts will always keep moving forever. Yeah, they got a lot of different avenues that they'll take it down. I Yeah, I wondered, okay, so I wanted to know, Rory, what you think about um, all of these vaccines that are happening. So we hear about, you know, Canada's getting, you know, so many million vaccines, the U.S. is getting so many million vaccines and stuff like this. Um, How do you feel about the countries that are less 
um, economically well off and mm. their amount of vaccines that they're getting. Because I kind of wanted to segue a little bit into the Sputnik vaccine, which is only $10 per vaccine. So it's cheaper, mm-hmm. um, although produced by Russia. Not quite sure about that one. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know if it actually works. Yeah. <laughs> because we actually... <laughs> We don't. We haven't actually seen any trial data. <laughs> yeah, they haven't come out with any research, and even the Russian people don't trust it. Um, particularly because Putin, um, possibly because Putin won't get the vaccine. Well, that inspires um, confidence, right? <laughs> I think that the leaders do need to get the vaccines if we're going to have any confidence among um, the people you know, who are going to get the vaccine. But even still, even looking at the U.S. and looking at the power structure and how all these uh, U.S. Republican senators mm. who who downplayed the yeah. COVID-19 are getting the vaccine before First before in healthcare line workers. as soon as the vaccine comes out, yeah. Yeah, before healthcare workers. But this, um, this Sputnik vaccine is going to a lot of the third world countries because it's the only one that they can afford. Um, I was wondering what you think about that. Cause I know that you are definitely our resident, um, social economic guy. <laughs> Sociologist. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's definitely a problem. I mean, to have two tiers of vaccine and one being unproven and to provide an economic incentive for disadvantaged countries to pursue the unproven vaccine, of course, it's a it's a huge problem, and it's one that I don't know what the best solution is. Since intuitively, I want to say that the hardest hit countries should be the ones who receive the most vaccine doses to try to you know curb the spread where it's the worst. But a lot of so these, the U.S. <laughs> yeah, the U.S. is one of the hardest hit countries because of their poor infrastructure and poor handling of the, of the COVID-19 outbreak. So I can't really use that avenue. And additionally, a lot of the disadvantaged countries we're talking about don't have as robust of data collection on their incidences of COVID-19. And so it's hard to know whether they are in fact as hard hit or harder hit than Western developed yeah. nations who are receiving. I, I think the other thing to note as well, uh, we only recently got uh, the, the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is a cheaper one mm-hmm. approved. At least it's only been approved in the UK, but that's the cheaper but higher confidence uh, vaccine <laughs> versus the Sputnik vaccine. Um, I just love the Sputnik actually, vaccine. I'm I just love the so thing. curious about the Sputnik vaccine. I want to hear more details from you, Sherry. I don't have very many details. I just think it's so funny because they've named it after their one, Russia's one big accomplishment in the oh, space race in the Cold fighting War. Fighting words, like. Sherry. <laughs> But it, although when I, I'm looking at the um, Bloomberg kind of vaccine tracker, uh, they didn't even list the Sputnik vaccine as something to even consider. Because oh, I don't think they even have any confidence. But no, the AstraZeneca don't. vaccine, uh, it, they're expected to produce 3 billion. Yeah, 3 billion uh, doses. Uh, most of them going to India. So that, so the, the one that was approved for the UK 
uh, the bulk of those is actually going to India. Mm. About um, a billion doses will be going to India. That's interesting. I mean, India with population density, I can definitely understand why they would be a place to send a lot of vaccines. Uh, and then there's the COVAX program, which they're going to um, basically developed countries would supply doses to uh, countries that just can't afford uh, vaccines. So right now, it looks like there's 700 million doses um, scheduled for that. Um, And then Canada, once we have vaccinated our population, uh, at least uh, uh, Trudeau has indicated that Canada will um, provide donate our vaccine doses to other countries, which would be the right thing to do because Canada has, from a per-population standpoint, has purchased the most vaccines out of every single country. That's so interesting. Unfortunately, though, in Canada, we are one of the slowest to actually uh, administer the vaccine. We've purchased so much, but we are very, very slow at administering. Um, Is that that where... An anti-vaxxer problem, or is it a uh, no? I think it's problem. a government problem. It's a rollout uh, problem, and I'm personally not very happy with how we're rolling things out. Yeah, I, I want you to. I, can you guess right now? Okay, here we go again. Percentage, <laughs> percentage wise, uh, how many doses have we stuck into people's arms versus uh, how much? we've actually received, like delivered. So how many we have on hand versus how many we've administered. Yeah. So give me a percentage of, of the one of the, of all the doses that we have in house in Canada right now in freezers Mm -hmm. percentage, how many of that have actually gone into people's arms? Oh, I'm going to guess really low on this one. Um, I'm going to throw it at about 7%. I'm going to say 30. That's, that's that's actually around, yeah, it's actually around 25. Oh, oh I was going to say 25, but I upped it a little bit. I yeah. was being super lowball. You set the stage with all that talk of how slow we were getting. <laughs> <laughs> so the, 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 the problem here is the, the rate that we're um, administering isn't changing, but the deliveries are increasing. So <laughs> the, the, this percentage is going to keep getting smaller if we don't <laughs> like actually <laughs> speed things up. I think the issue is that that um, we're doing the two vaccines in the three weeks. It's been it's been suggested that we should be vaccinating more of the population with one dose, um, and maybe vaccinating people with their second dose later than the three weeks, um, just to get more of the population at least to seventy percent immunity. Yeah, it's still targeted right now, isn't it? It's only. Healthcare professionals. It's target, but I, I, yeah, I would argue at twenty five percent. Even if you're holding back doses, that means it's fifty percent, which means you actually have fifty percent of the vaccines still sitting there doing nothing. Yeah, like we still have vaccines, a lot of vaccines sitting around doing nothing. <laughs> What's the point of purchasing all these vaccines if you're not yeah. actually going to use it? Just to throw it in Trump's face, maybe. <laughs> what are they waiting for? <laughs> Yeah, it's, to me, it's logistics. This is purely uh, logistics. But uh, why don't we go into um, another topic I want to bring up. Uh, and this is another fun guessing game. Oh, but, boy. You know, we, You're all about the trivia uh, today, Kenny. <laughs> yeah. Vaccine confidence and the anti-vax uh, vax movement 
Um, I, I want to kind of look into kind of what, where does it sit in terms of um, uh, people's political beliefs? You know, are, are people on a political left or are people on a political right more anti-vax? Um, and so there was a Gallup poll that was uh, commissioned in December 2019, right before the pandemic. <laughs> so good timing. <laughs> um, on They want to ask the question, you know, how important is it for parents to get their children vaccinated? And so they asked a, a broad population group. Uh, I forgot to look up how many people, but uh, let's assume the Gallup poll is relatively good sample size. Okay. So in... Uh, 2001, they did this polling, and in the U.S., uh, 94% of people in the U.S. believe that vaccinations are important. Okay. So that's a pretty good number in 2001. Uh, by 2019, that has dropped to 84%. Oh, no. So 84% of people believe it's important. So a question here would be, um, from your perspective... Do you, where is the biggest drop in kind of the confidence in vaccines? Is it on the political left or the political right? Because they also segmented this by people's political views. Who do you think had the bigger drop in vaccine confidence? This is a tricky question. I want to say the right, but I feel like you're leading us in I that can, direction. <laughs> I can no, see I, reasons <laughs> for why both sides would... Uh, would potentially adopt an anti-vax stance. And, oh gosh, if I had to, if I had to guess, just straight up, of course, I'm going to guess that it's the the political right, given their distrust of science and distrust of government, that it seems intuitive that it would be a problem for them. I can imagine the political left also being reserved, though, because a lot of the time... The left is preaching from the left, but tending towards the right when it comes to what's good for themselves. And so we're talking about change as well. Like we had a certain number who disbelieved in vaccines already. And so we're talking about a drop off, a change in recent years. I'm still going to go with the right, but I'm super curious to find out the answer. Sherry, are you going with the left Um, or the right? I don't know. My inclination was to say like the center. Like I feel like people who are independent maybe have the biggest drop, but mm-hmm. um I don't know. Um I'll say left just Okay. Just because Rory her, said right. <laughs> to give yourself that uh counter odd. <laughs> What's your reasoning, Sherry? Because <laughs> I want competition. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so Sherry, I was uh with you and when I was uh when I first saw the article in my mind I was thinking, oh, it's got to be the left. <laughs> you know, I, I was thinking people like Bill Maher, uh he he's very anti-vax, uh but, you know, uh Why is uh, that? So weird. I have no idea. To be honest, I have no idea. <laughs> okay. he, he's very, very anti-vax. But yeah. uh, so I was thinking definitely, oh, it's got to be the left, you know, in terms of how uh, progression from, you know, 2001 all the way to 2019. It's the funny thing um, about a lot of the left. That is, that is incorrect. It is the it right. It's actually the right. It is the right. Um, 
So, oh, you win uh, this round, victory. Yeah. <laughs> so the the right went from ninety three percent confidence in vaccines all the way to seventy nine percent. So it's, they had the biggest. Drop. They are pulling it down um, now. Over, yeah. So overall, actually, uh, uh, whether you're in the political left, uh, whether you're independent, or whether you're on the right, uh, everyone has gone down. All the rates have gone down. The right has the biggest drop off though and i think what is interesting as well is uh the anti-vax movement is actually starting to align up with the alt-right movement as well yeah um so that's what i was thinking like the anti-science aspects are just kind of coalescing yeah so even uh, in the u.s there's a anti-vax group called uh, freedom angels uh they're they are already posting photos holding guns doing no. firearm training <laughs> Very much like <laughs> the alt-right groups. And they've kind of aligned themselves with the alt-right groups. So it's very interesting that, uh, well, now they're not only um, crazy about, you know, the, the anti-vaccine vaccine movement, but now they're pro-guns as well. Yeah, great. You know, the funny thing about these movements is they often happen with the very far-right, very religious, gun-toting conservatives. I'm sorry. <laughs> Those are fighting words. But honestly, honestly, it's ridiculous. But the data shows it. The data shows it. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Talking about religion, did you hear the Pope has said it's okay to get the COVID vaccine? As if anyone needed his permission. But like, but w- within Catholicism, um, I guess there are there is this anti-vax movement because um, some vaccines use uh, stem cells, and so mm. you know, there's this yeah, weird crossing thing. a line there. I yeah, and actually, just uh, as in terms of a little bit of science on that, they use a stem cell line that was collected in like the 70s, mm-hmm. and these are like immortal, immortal stem cells. So they just grow forever, and they <laughs> so it's not like they're gonna. Uh, they're killing babies every day too. I know, but you say stem cells and that's exactly what they think. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Th- these are these are immortal cells that were developed uh in the 70s and they just never die. Yeah. It's yeah. Why am I not surprised? It's the the political right that is having the lower drop in vaccine confidence. See, you should have gone with your gut, Sherry. I know that you're leaning that way just the same well, as I was, but you wanted to be adversarial. <laughs> you wanted to have a shot at me being wrong. I wanted a little right. competition, you know, <laughs> make it fun. <laughs> yeah, but I think the, the other issue is um, it's always a sm- small vocal mayor- minority that has the loudest voice. Of so in, in, that's why in my mind, I was like picturing people like Jenny McCarthy, right? She's kind of, you know, whatever, hippy-dippy. And I was like, just picturing a lot of these uh, left-leaning people uh, uh, being more anti-vaxxers. But that's not actually the case. But again, it's it's always these small vocal minorities that speak the loudest. And when they've actually done uh, studies on social media, like Facebook, the, the anti-vax people are much more effective at converting... Uh, kind of people on the fence over to their side versus the pro-vaccine people. 
uh, because all pro-vaccine people don't really post every single day about how great vaccines are. Whereas the anti-vax movement, every day yeah. they're just hammering. Every right, day a new sensational how- anecdote about a person who's suffering as a result and often of it's the media that picks up on this. Like we talked about earlier with the MMR vaccine and that disgraced doctor, it was the media that picked up on these studies and then like everything kind of went viral, not viral back then, but you know, like people were talking about it. And, and so, you know, the media is contributing to these smaller voices, getting a bigger voice. Within, yeah. A big platform. Yeah. Within our society. So, how do you guys convince an anti-vaxxer? To... I defriend them. <laughs> <laughs> Just wash your hands of it, Sherry. <laughs> you know what? Survival of the fittest. <laughs> I'm going to get my vaccine, and good luck to you. <laughs> I'm going yeah. to. Uh, I'm going to not be a social Darwinist about this. And, uh, <laughs> I'm going to. Say... May the odds be ever in your favor. <laughs> I would say. One of the strong ways to build confidence is to provide a personal example. You know, I'm getting the vaccine. I am going to put my faith in this. And if you need to follow my example, if you're not feeling brave enough to lead in this instance, then by all means, keep tabs on me. I'll let you know that I'm healthy and safe and and we'll go from there. Rory, you need to get a picture of you getting the vaccine and then post it on Facebook. Because I'm super famous and I'm going to affect the population. But yeah, <laughs> no. But if we all <laughs> if do allow, it, you know, if they allow cameras, I, I figure um, my brother is also uh, very much on board with vaccination. So we'll probably go together whenever it's allowed. And yeah, if they allow cameras, I'll I'll give you the thumbs up and uh, take my puncture. <laughs> there have been lots of pictures out there of healthcare workers getting the vaccine. Yeah, you're you're so hopeful. I, 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 for me, I'm kind of in Sherry's boat where like, <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't bother with them. But to, like, for me, it just feels like, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to convince an anti-vaxxer. Like they're, if they don't already believe in reality, like, uh, if they don't believe in facts, uh, then there's really no point in like talking to them. Like they're just, they're just, again, going to move the goalposts. They're going to believe in alternative facts um and f- uh, for me i think it's more important to actually capture the people that are on the fence so I, that's why i think like you know you posting a photo of you getting the vaccine like i i plan on doing that as well hopefully i, I would like to kind of take a photo of me getting a vac- vaccine and post it because i want to i would want to try to make sure people that are on the fence you know, come back to the light <laughs> and, you know, yeah. uh, versus them uh, jumping on board onto the uh, anti-vax bandwagon. Uh, to me, like some of the anti-vax people, they're, they're goners. <laughs> it's, it's too late. <laughs> they're too far. They're going to have to have to get COVID-19 and build their immunity that way. Possibly. It's like the far right, like trying to talk to them politically, even because I have an aunt who's very far right and she's in the States and she voted for Trump. And, I try to talk to her about politics and and she just like even though I try and give these really logical arguments she'll start talking about oh I heard this somewhere yeah um I don't remember where but I heard it and I think like and it's almost like she's kind of making these things up in her head and just to try and um combat 
any evidence that I've given her. You yeah. just can't show these people evidence. It's almost yeah, it's almost better just just to let it go cuz I've I've tried. I've tried so hard and I don't think there's any way to to fix them. Yeah. I mean, if if people aren't able to accept facts, then there's no point, right? I mean, they're just no matter how many facts and figures you throw at them, they're they're, they're going to talk their way out of those facts. And that's assuming that you can keep it as a, a direct conversation about the topic of interest. What I see a lot of the time is uh, you'll see someone who provides a really well-reasoned, factually-based opinion, and in response, say on like uh, the comments sections of a forum, you'll just see a bunch of irrelevant information being thrown out all the way down to how that person looked, whether their hair was in place. and It's very, very hard to get a rational grounds for having a discussion when that is the response that you can expect from some people that they don't have a good counter. So they're going to focus in on something else. Yeah. So that's why for me, like uh, with my anti-vax person on my Facebook, any comment that they post, I never reply. There's just no point in replying. I just never reply and I just move on with my life. (laughs) That's fair. It's the only way to keep your sanity. And to me, it, it, I just know there's no point, right? We already know. Like, it's just, there's absolutely no point because I just, it's going to be nearly impossible to convince them with facts and figures. I don't like this, Kenny. Last week, you were our, our beacon of hope and you were convincing me of all things good. <laughs> now you're now you're cutting the rope and you're letting some of the population just drift no, away. The beacon of hope is we have the power to bring the people on the fence over to our side. And we, we need to do fair. that. And the people who can be convinced need to be convinced. Exactly. Exactly. And you know what the number one side effect of vaccines are? <laughs> it causes adults, <laughs> which is a good and bad thing. Because Fair, fair. <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, any other uh, thoughts on uh, vaccinations? I'm still a lot of questions that I'm curious about myself. Whether people who have had COVID-19 are going to be vaccinated and what effects that'll have with them. You know, this is the thing. Even with a lot of questions still being unanswered out there, I think the socially responsible thing to do to help topple COVID-19 is to adopt some of that risk, be brave and get vaccinated. Because even if some people will suffer adverse effects, it happens with every vaccine, whether it's an allergic reaction or just they got super unlucky, they were that one in a million, somebody is going to suffer for it. And so it does take a bit of courage to get vaccinated. I acknowledge that. But it is the responsible thing to do, and I will do it myself, and I will encourage others to do it as well. Yeah, don't wait on it. Don't say, like, oh, I'll wait and see what kind of effects it has, long-lasting effects it has. Because in that time that you're waiting, you could get COVID, and that is a lot worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, um, in terms of the short-term effects, we already know what the short-term effects are. (laughs) It's we have a good sample dying. size, yeah. Exactly, exactly. I mean, think think about it. Like, if we had to just let COVID run its course, um, I did a backhand calculation. We're talking about 150 million people dead. Mm-hmm. And in Canada, 
750,000 people dead. And annually, generally, like every year, you know, historically, Canada only has about 280,000 people that die of natural causes or accidents. That's the av running rate. Mm-hmm. Like literally, we would almost be like tripling yeah. the number of deaths. So Unacceptable. Yeah. So my takeaways, get the vaccine. Get the vaccine. <laughs> Summon your inner Gryffindor and get some courage and go get that vaccine. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <laughs> or what's a better non-religious... I know, I always say amen, and it's not great. <laughs> I can't think of one. We need one that's like science. That's all you say. Yeah, it's just faith like and science. science. But it has to be snappy like the amen. Sagan. 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 <laughs> well, Sagan. Yeah, I can't think of any other famous <laughs> scientist right now. It's good Bill enough Nye. for me. Nye. That's what we should say is Nye. Yes. Nyan. Nye. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay let's end this <laughs> thanks for listening everyone and get your vaccines and we'll talk to you later talk to you later see ya bye till next time did we just lose sherry oh there she is <laughs> I'm sorry. Wow, this is fun technology, eh? Yeah.